Today on Front Row Rugby, I'm joined by Springbok legend and former wing, Dean Hall. Dean, it's great to have you. Welcome. Peter, thank you. And thanks for the opportunity of being on your show. It's my pleasure. Now, just before we begin the conversation, let's have a look at the trivia question for this week. In the first three tests of 2002, the Springboks had two different captains. Name them. Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it down below in the comment section. And what we'll do at the end of the conversation, we'll find out if Dean Hall knows the answer to that question. Dean, I'd like to get started in 2001. And I want to read from your Wikipedia page, right? It says that you gained instant fame when you flattened Highlanders back Iliesa Tanivula on his way to the try line. Flattened. 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 Is that how you would describe it? You know, I mean, uh, I think that's just a very good uh, journalism writing, I suppose. Um, look, I mean, uh, it was a very good game. We had a very good side. I was playing for the Cats at that stage. Um, coached by Laurie Maines. And, uh, you know, I was down myself in the centres and the ball came came to me and uh, sort of sidestepped through the defence. And uh, I managed to switch the ball into my left hand when Tony Vula came from the wing. And uh, unfortunately, as I put my arm up, he hit my elbow and uh, right between his eyes. And unfortunately, it knocked him a bit unconscious. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I suppose I just got lucky at that stage. And, uh, you know, obviously that uh, resonated with the crowd at that stage. And, uh, yeah, it was probably one of the highlights in my career. And then immediately people began comparing you to Jonah Lomu. Did that put any additional pressure on you? Yeah, I, I suppose it did. You know, there was only one Jonah Lomu, and that was Jonah himself. I mean, he was a formidable runner with the ball, and, uh, you know, he was a tough guy to bring down in defence, you know. So I, I thought my game was, you know, there was aspects of my game. I just thought I was classified into that same mould because I was big for a wing at that stage. But uh, certainly there's no comparison between me and Jonah, to be honest, you know. He was uh, a far better, you know, on attack and speed and weight, and uh, he was just a very effective player. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not hit the like button? And then just a couple of months later, it was time to make your debut for the Springboks. Talk to me about that experience. Oh, man, that was a very humbling experience. I mean, to be selected as a Springbok, you know, I got called up after that into a team with Harry Fulhoun. Harry Fulhoun was the coach. Um, it was an exciting time of my life. Uh, it was one of the highlights in my life, certainly. And uh, to be part of the Springbok setup was just it was a great, uh, great place to be. You know, um, you know, I thought Harry had some really good ideas. Um, he was um, brought a, a business concept into the rugby team. Um, some of the ideas was, you know, to expose me to a level of professionalism that I'd never been part of, which was which was great to see. It was your third test against the All Blacks at Newlands. Uh, we lost that test 12-3. Uh, I remember Percy Montgomery didn't have his best night with the boot uh, in that test match. Uh, a lot of people felt that we outplayed New Zealand that night and the scoreline just didn't reflect what should have been, what could have been. Dina, I'd like to hear from you. What does it feel like being in a Springbok change room after a test match that you've lost when you know that you really should have won that match? You know, I think it's like anything, you know, it's not a good place to be, number one. There's, there's a stillness that comes over your change room. Um, you know, it's you start looking at yourself as a player and what I could have done more. Um, afterwards, we, we 
unpack the game. We go through the details of what we could have done better, what we where, where we lost opportunities. And I think at the end of the day, I think we knew we were busy building something special and we knew that if we just stuck to it and we was consistent that uh, the team would have clicked. So I think it was early stages and I think that test match certainly showed that there were signs of this team really developing into a into a world-beating team at this stage, you know. And they bounced back quite nicely, the, the Springboks, uh, the following week beating Australia at Loftus. And don't forget the Wallabies were the world champions at the time. And then we went overseas and we drew against uh, the same Wallabies. So those are two really, really decent results. And then obviously playing the All Blacks uh, at the end, and, and that was actually a Tri-Nations decider. I know we lost the Test match, but looking back now, how much of a chance do you think we really stood that night against New Zealand in New Zealand? I think uh, we, we certainly had chances. I think we just needed to bring a little bit more stability to the team and to the selected. And uh, I think there was a, a, you know, there was still early stages in Harry's career. Um, I think he was trying different combinations. We were exposed to a very specialist coach. We had a defensive coach. We had an attacking coach. We had a kicking coach. So there was there was a lot of new concepts that was introduced to us as players. And I think we just needed time to settle. So I think our chances were pretty good. We just needed more time just to settle that side. And I think we would have definitely done much better. And then on the end of year two, this is something that I'm really fascinated by. We played against the USA, an opponent that the Springboks quite seldom come up against, actually. The test match took place in Houston. I'd like to hear from you. What is it like playing against an opponent like that at a venue like that? It was a very interesting time. It was the last game of our end of the year tour. And it was, um, you know, quite challenging for us. We were quite tired after our season. Um, and I think it was around about that time when 9-11 had just happened as well. So it was very difficult to travel into the States at that stage. Um, but we thought, you know, being the Springboks and, uh, you know, there's quite a big expat um, following there in Houston, funny enough. So we thought it would be good, you know, to to attend this game after what, what the country had just been through. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good game. Um, the, the Americans put up a, a pretty good fight. There was a lot of South Africans in the side. Um, it's the first time I've ever seen a cowboy streaker in my life, but uh, <laughs> came on with his cowboy boots and his hat on. Uh, so, yeah, it was an interesting game, and it was just good to associate with, uh, you know, and help build, build, help build the economy and help build the awareness to rugby in the States. As you've mentioned, the Springboks uh, were building up towards something special and maybe not always getting the results, but the performances certainly weren't that bad during that era. Harry Fulhun obviously then was replaced by Rudolf Strauli uh, in, in that same uh, sort of era. Um, but there was one really, really memorable victory uh, in 2002 against the Wallabies at Ellis Park. Uh, talk to me about that test. In 2002 against the Wallabies, that's the one we won where Benekrif broke through yeah, I mean, that was, we, we just felt that things were starting to come together. There was a lot of excitement, I can remember, before that game. I remember running out in that test match at Ellis Park. I mean, it's still one of the greatest stadiums to play a test match in. There's just an energy there on the field. And I, I still reckon that that's probably one of the most spiritual awakenings I've ever had running out. Uh, 65, 70,000 people at Ellis Park and uh, for that test match. And uh just right from the start, we just didn't feel that we were going to lose that game. Um, there was a fantastic performance by Van der at fullback coming through in the last couple of minutes of the game, breaking through right by the ruck to score the winning try. Um, and then I think it came down to the kick 
um, which he then slotted straight through the legs, which was fantastic to see, you know. And that also turned out to be your last test match for the Springboks. Um, you actually injured your knee in, in a Curry Cup match. Uh, what actually happened? Yeah, unfortunately, my knee injury was, it wasn't just one, one event. It was, it was a combination of uh, the knee just breaking down over a period of time, you know. Unfortunately, my cartilage in my knee through, you know, various treatments was, was, was just breaking down. Um, I went in for, Many operations. I've had nine knee operations in total to date uh, on my knees to sort of clean out the cartilage and try and maintain. Yeah, and unfortunately, it was just getting too bad. And eventually, I landed up with a sort of bone-on-bone situation in my knee, which eventually cost me my career, unfortunately. Yeah. At, at what stage do you think you realized that Test Match Rugby was no longer in your future? You know, it's, it, it was really hard, but I think, you know, when you sit down with various knee specialists and they pretty much tell you that your career is over, it's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow at that stage. It's a hard thing to, to deal with, especially when I felt there was so much rugby still left in me, you know. So it was a tough place to be, you know, and I tried. Um, Don Duplessis in Pretoria said he would have a look at my knee and he... He uh, did a procedure which helped me to to get another four years out of my career. But unfortunately, um, I lost a lot of pace and uh, I could never get back to international rugby, unfortunately. As you say, there was a little bit of a comeback. Uh, I remember you were at the Sharks and then then you made your way to Japan. Um, What was that experience like? Uh, Japan was, I was one of the first uh, South African rugby players to go to Japan. At first, I was a bit reluctant to go, but uh, I'm really glad that I went. I mean, it was an unbelievable experience for me playing in Japan. Um, there's a there's a culture shock, I think, when you first get there, but when you start understanding the hierarchy which is operates there, and uh, it's it was just a fantastic place to experience. You know, the people are wonderful. The you know there's there's a great following of rugby, and and there's a great interest that's growing in Japan. You know, and uh, I think since then, I mean, you know, beating the Springboks in the in in the in a World Cup, uh, you know, under Eddie Jones, I think was a sign that Japan is now become a serious force in rugby. You know, they used to get given 100 points, but I think with all the influence of the foreign rugby players and learning from us, I think their rugby has certainly developed a lot over the years. I think so. So, Dean, earlier you spoke about uh, the coaching methods of Harry Phil Yoon and, you know, having the specialist coaches in the camp and, and all of that. You also played under Rudolf Strauli. That was in 2002 for the Springboks. How would you say, uh, or what would you say were the differences that you observed um, between the two men and their coaching? methods? Unfortunately, when Rudolf took over, you know, I was exposed a little bit to the squad. Um, I was fighting my injury quite a bit, so I was putting to specialized, you know, um, rehabilitation programs with a few of the other players. We spent weeks in uh, the Sports Science Institute in Cape Town, um, you know, gaining strength and working on my knee. So from a team perspective, I wasn't uh, exposed to Rudolph's method of coaching as well as most of the other guys. But I think for for, for a direct comparison between Harry, I mean, Harry had um, specialized coaching in various fields. Um, There was an element of professionalism that was sort of portrayed on us and we were treated, we weren't treated like rugby players, we were treated like CEOs of various business units, you know, so the, you know, we were tailored with the best suits and we would uh, look after, you know, um, really well as professional rugby players. Um, 
Um, whereas Mars, a little bit of exposure of Rudolph, you know, obviously that was all saying that wasn't working for us. So now we're going to look at changing something uh, moving forward. And, you know, we need to appreciate where we are and we need to earn our place in in in, in Rudolph's team. And that certainly uh, obviously brought a lot of competition amongst the squad. Um, I remember we had an A squad and a B squad and whenever we uh, challenged each other at practices, it always got very physical. So you always had to earn your spot with Rudolph. And I think from that perspective, there was this difference which I could have picked up from, you know. And then you also mentioned earlier playing for the Cats under Laurie Maines, who did exceptionally well uh, during his time as an All Blacks coach. Um, I, it would be wrong of me not to ask you uh, for a comment on, on Laurie's uh, approach to coaching. Yeah, I really enjoyed working with Laurie. Um, Laurie got the best out of us as a team. I mean, uh, he took a he took a cat squad that was struggling over the years. He took exactly the same team and and did something special with us as players. Um, what I put it down to is Laurie had a, a really good uh, player management ability. He understood us individually, what type of characters we were, and I think that's probably ninety five percent of any coach um, who can manage his team effectively. Um, we just felt that Laurie was there for us as the team and he got the best out of us. He pushed us physically and mentally into into uh, spaces which we never had been from a from a fitness perspective. We were extremely fit and uh, and then it was a question of putting the combinations together. I think also one of the benefits of that team was having some of the experienced guys, some 95 guys in that setup as well. You know, So we had this balance of having old players as well as young players in that cat squad. So we had the likes of Rossi, we had the likes of Henny LaRue, Yopi Milder, Hannes Stratum, and then we had really good youngsters coming through, myself and, uh, you know, James Dalton and... Uh, uh, I mean, uh, um, what is his name? Um, um, James Small was in the side, you know, uh, Tinus Dalport, Yanni van der Volt, And we just had a fantastic combination of this youth and this experience, which we let, which really worked well for us. I'm guessing the answer will not be Tani Vula, but who was the toughest opponent that you came up against during your career? <laughs> yeah, you know, that is a question I get asked quite a bit, but, you know, I think... I would say from a physical perspective, I was lucky enough to, I think, play with probably two of the toughest guys in, in rugby, which I had the honour of playing with in my team. And that I would say is probably Yopi Mulder and uh, Jan Ackerman. Um, you know, but I think if I look at opposition, you know, I can't single out. I mean, there's lots of guys that offer different strengths and different weaknesses. But I think... The strength of the opposition was really the combinations that they played together. So, like in Australia, we had George Gregan and Stephen Lockham, which was just an unbelievable force to deal with. You know, in New Zealand, we had Tano Munga and Christian Cullen, which really linked well. So, you know, this is what made our lives difficult, you know, and especially on the wing, it's a really difficult place to defend, you know. And when you have the likes of these guys running at you, it's, it's quite challenging. I'm also a guy I really respected in Australian side was a guy like Joe. Rolf, who was an unbelievably skillful player. What was the funniest or most memorable moment for you uh, during your time with the Springboks? <laughs> oh man, there's so many stories, but I think the one that stands out for me is uh, we were in Australia, as you mentioned, and uh, we were in Perth. And we were coming back from uh, our captain's practice and uh, the day before a test match, and AJ Fenter jumped up onto the microphone and uh, 
on the bus heading back to the hotel and he said, look, I'm sending around my hat and uh, any of you guys have a bit of spare cash, just put put the money into this cap and uh, we'll grow this kitty. And uh, once we had <laughs> quite a bit of money, Australian dollars in this cap, he said, right, the first person who brings me a piece of George Smith's dreadlock um, wins the kitty. So <laughs> obviously there was a lot of excitement and cheering in the bus. Um, and the next day the, uh, the test match started and uh, George Smith, who I have a lot of respect for, he's a real tough, tough operator on the field. And, uh, you know, and he was always in the thick of things. And I remember that first ruck, there was hands coming from every angle <laughs> Pulling his head. his poor head was bobbing around the ruck. Everybody trying to pull a piece of his hair off his head, and uh, eventually I saw him lying on his back, holding guys' hands off his hair, and uh, it was just an unbelievable experience. And after the game, we we have a we have a little debrief amongst the players, which we call a contiki, where we have a few beers just to you know just to relax a bit. And uh, AJ stood up and said, "Right." Here's the pot of cash. Has has anybody has anybody won it? And in the corner, the Debeck Barry puts his hand up and he pulls one of uh, George Smith's uh, dreadlocks <laughs> out of his pocket. <laughs> and obviously, the tears went. And it was a great uh, time to to be part of that team. But uh, funny enough, uh, Joe Fenikak then obviously went to play for Toulon in France after that, and. He, he was one of his teammates was George Smith, and he told George about this wager that was on his hair. <laughs> and uh, George said, "Look, I couldn't understand why you guys were like pulling my hair the whole time. You know, you should have just asked, and I would have given you a piece. You know." So <laughs> he still wrote about it in his autobiography afterwards, and he was a good sport about it. But it was a really good, <laughs> funny place to be. Yeah, yeah, that is an incredible story. So, uh, Dean. You only played for the Springboks for two seasons, right? Um, and we know about guys like, say, Percy Montgomery, Victor Matfield, John de Villiers, where they've played 100 tests for the Springboks. Or guys like Skulk Berger, where they play 80 tests for the Springboks. Um, most people dream uh, of playing for the box. But I think that they, when they dream, they think they're going to play for a decade. They're going to play 100 tests and so on. In your case, it was only the two seasons. What would your advice be to youngsters? My advice is to say, you know, for youngsters is look after your body. There's, you know, there's a lot of um, nutrition out there. And I think, you know, one thing I think certainly professional rugby players need to do more is look after their joints. You know, once you sustain a, a muscle injury, you can heal from a muscle injury. You can repair a tendon. But I think once your joints are damaged, it's pretty much the end of your career. So I would say, you know, a lot more focus needs to be put on on joint and looking after your joints in rugby. And I think, uh, you know, um, I think that's an important aspect of the, today's game. The game has become very demanding. Um, it's become very physical. And, uh, you know, don't take your health for granted. I mean, you know, you, you, you expect a lot from your body and you need to look after your body, I suppose. You know, that would be my advice. And what are you up to these days? Well, funny enough, uh, that's exactly the industry I followed. I followed, uh, you know, the health and nutrition uh, type of model because, you know, I'm passionate about it. And, you know, and, and this is where I believe that, you know, it's important to look after your body and invest in your body to sustain and get the most out of your body, but also to sustain a healthier life. 
And uh, fortunately, you know, there's there's good products out there that uh, can has given me a better quality of life after rugby, after sustaining such uh, bad knee injuries over the years. And uh, yeah, there's certainly good science behind these these products now. Yeah. That's good to hear. So Dean, let's have a look at that trivia question then from earlier. In the first three tests of 2002, the Springboks had two different captains. Name them. Do you know the answer, Dean? I would say it's Bobby Skinstedt and Kone Krieger. And that is exactly right. Dean, I've got to tell you, we've been running the trivia question now for about 10 episodes, I think. And I think you are only the third former Springbok to get the answer correct. So well done to you. Well, Peter, maybe you should be interviewing more backline players, eh? <laughs> I think so. And now, now you've got me wondering, I think, I stand to be corrected, but I think the only guys who've got it right so far are backline players. So there might be a bit of a story there. <laughs> Dean, let me say, it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it was great. It really was a, a pleasure. And hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Anytime, Peter. And really, thanks for the opportunity. It's been great. Last time on Front Row Rugby, former Springbok prop and 1998 Tri-Nations winner, Adrian Garvey, was my guest. You can go and have a look at that video. It's appearing on the screen right now. Next time, Kurbis Fasahi will be here. Thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed that video, why not spear tackle the like button? You can also subscribe and hit the notification bell so you don't miss any content from Front Row Rugby. See you next time.